don't even ask me how anyone would what that even is because I I'm so confused I like spaghetti goes with squash goes with tacos I mean does it taste like tacos I don't know welcome to book therapy I'm your host Kim Patton there's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world some are decent some are truly terrible and some are great today we're going to take a deep dive into one great book together we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I have a really practical book for you today, so you're going to walk away with some great tips. Before we get started, I just wanted to tell you that my Kickstarter for my new book is kicking off in just a few weeks. And I'm really excited to share the new book with you. The Kickstarter campaign is only 21 days. So if you want to order the book, you have 21 days to pre-order it. It won't be published until around November. So you'll be able to order again in November if you would like. But head to my website, KimPatton.com. There's some sample chapters there. And if you join the email list, you'll be able to be notified right away when the book is available. And also those on the email list will just get a heads up about what's going on with the book and when it's truly available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of those places. If you or someone else in your life would be interested in reading it, I would love your support. Thank you. Let's dive into the book. Today's book is Don't Overthink It, Make Easier Decisions, Stop Second Guessing, and Bring More Joy to Your Life by Ann Bogle. It is a true self-help book. You're going to walk away from this episode with practical tips. A little bit about Ann Bogle. She is a podcast host, blogger, author, and I would call her a book whisperer. Her show is called What Should I Read Next? And it's very popular among readers. She interviews readers and asks them three books they love, one book they don't, and what they've been reading lately. And then she gives them book recommendations based on what she thinks they would like. She lives in Kentucky with her husband and four kids. I respect Ann Bogle greatly. She is wise and kind. She has two other books. The first one she wrote is called Reading People, and it's all about personalities and just the different ways that we can get to know each other in all our you know nuances, like the Myers-Briggs test, love languages, Enneagram. And then her second book is I'd Rather Be Reading. And it's a cute little, very giftable book that just is all about the love of reading and all that goes with it. And that kind of sums up who she is. I mean, she's very smart and she reads a ton. So she's really able to help people with figuring out what they want to read and what they like. And she analyzes things very well. I mean, I would trust her gut when it comes to books and authors and publishing because she just has so much experience in that world. I also really enjoy listening to her or reading her because she knows how to talk about books without giving away too much. (laughs) And she loves fiction. I don't love fiction, so a lot of her book recommendations I'm not going to try because I just don't read a lot of fiction. But if you love fiction, I definitely recommend her podcast, What Should I Read Next?, You will have so many books on your to-be-read list that it would take 100 years to finish them all. What is her goal with this book? On page 193, she says, In this book, I've sought to convince you that what you think about matters. 
By changing your thought life, you can fundamentally change the way you experience the world. What you do with your minutes and hours adds up to a life. My hope is that this book equips you to spend more of those minutes pursuing healthy, helpful, and life-giving thoughts that spur you to take actions that are the same. We are cultivating the person we are and will become one thought at a time. Throughout this whole book, she focuses on various aspects of overthinking. She breaks it down into really small bite-sized pieces so that you can walk away knowing, okay, I can do one thing differently to help me change my thoughts and change the way I live. We'll talk about the one thing that I implemented after reading this book that I still do to this day, and I almost do it unconsciously without, without even remembering where it came from, but it definitely came from this book. We're going to talk about three specific ways to stop overthinking. The first way is to limit your options. On page 69, she talks about a simple mantra. There are various ways to say this. You could say, complete the cycle, taking it through the hoop, touch it once, touch it, complete it, and do the next step. Those are all ways that we can kind of describe what she's talking about here. Basically, what it means is we're all pretty good at getting things almost done or mostly done, but not all the way completed. I know some of you are like immediately thinking about laundry. (laughs) I've heard people say it's so easy to wash and it's so easy to dry, but why does it take so much effort to fold and put away the clothes? (laughs) And if you're not even a folder, it still takes a while to shove them all in the drawers. Completing the cycle means that whatever you are about to do, it sounds really simple, but even a chore that only takes 30 or 60 seconds sometimes can end up taking longer because it's easy to get distracted or make excuses and not complete the task. One seemingly ridiculous example of this is when you are laying in bed at night and you haven't been able to get to sleep quite yet but you're getting there, you're relaxing, but you kind of have to pee. She says on page 86, if you've ever spent 20 minutes lying awake in the middle of the night wondering if you should get out of bed to go to the bathroom, you know what I'm talking about. She pretends like she doesn't know what to do, but just because she doesn't want to do it. We kind of make up these excuses for ourselves like, uh, do I really have to go to the bathroom? When in all actuality, of course we have to go to the bathroom, we just don't want to. She talks about on page 112 why it's important to limit our options. We make many decisions throughout the day, and all those little decisions take a toll on us, physically, mentally. Decision fatigue is a real thing, and it's a little bit sneaky. She says, instead of feeling specifically tired in a certain way, we feel overwhelmed. Each small decision requires only a bit of brain power, but the cumulative effect is large. She does talk about how you can limit your options when it comes to food and the clothes that you're wearing. There's a capsule wardrobe or even a uniform that some people like to choose. Not a uniform that is standard of their company or their job, but a uniform that they have chosen for themselves that makes it easy for them to get dressed every day and not have to think about it. Other people have the same thing for breakfast every day or the same thing for lunch or have a meal plan to where Mondays they eat chicken of some sort and Tuesdays they have, you know, Taco Tuesday and Wednesday they have a meatless day. Anything you can do to limit your decisions is going to help you. Secondly, she advises us that it's really important to take a break. On page 75, 
She says, when we're mentally rested and refreshed, it's easier to keep our thoughts on track. We don't just get tired because we're sleepy. Simply maintaining mental focus throughout the day depletes our energy. Because a tired brain easily becomes an overthinking brain, we need to give ourselves mental breaks, not just at night, but also throughout the day. Thinking about this is hard. How often do we take mental breaks? How often do you take physical breaks? Throughout this book, she does mention this many times. I think of Shauna Nequist in one of her books. She talked about fake resting. She was home on a Saturday or a Sunday, and her boys were sick. Her husband and her two sons were sick, and she was you know, doing laundry, cooking them soup. Everybody was in their pajamas, but her family was resting on the couch. They were watching movies. They were reading books. They were sleeping. They were playing with Legos. They were actually resting and enjoying a low-key weekend, even if they were sick. But Shauna was really busy keeping up with this thought in her brain that, oh, I'm in my pajamas. I'm home. We're all here together. I'm resting. But she wasn't resting, and she noticed that it bothered her, and she was a little bit jealous of her family. She kind of wanted to sit around and lounge on the couch, even if everybody was a little sniffly. It is hard to put down the task, to put down the chores, and walk away from what needs to be done and simply rest your body or rest your mind. We can't do that all of the time, but I do think it's important to notice the little cracks in the day where you can think to yourself, hey, I can, I can go sit on the couch for a minute. I love how she talks about technology and how it's made our brains a little bit cluttered, I think. In my opinion, having a phone that is so easily accessible and having social media, it's just so tempting to reach for it all the time. She talks about on page 122 how it's important to consider implementing device-free zones in your life, a physical space and or time when you put your device away. She gives an example of going on vacation and there was no cell service and it kind of forced her to put her phone in the glove compartment and not even think about it. Of course, it's hard when our phone is away from us, you know, for any length of time, let's be honest. But having specific times where we put it away and say, I'm, I'm not going to engage with anything on my device for the next hour or overnight or you put it in another room. Some people do dinner time is a device-free zone and others have morning time where they don't check their phone until they've done their morning prayers, their morning devotion, their time with their kids or getting ready or their time with the person that they love, the person that they live with. We're all different, so you really have to find what works best for you, but you know yourself and you know your temptations. So there's definitely moments in the day where I say, I can't have this phone in my hand right now. I need to go put it in another room or I need to turn it off and I need to take a break. For Ann Bogle, she talks about on 163 how 2 p.m. was kind of her reset. 2 p.m. became an afternoon ritual for her. A midday rest could include coffee and reading or prioritizing or reprioritizing after the day has gone on you kind of get a feel for okay what am I getting done what do I still need to get done what's important what's no longer important etc she says a number of readers swore by a quick walk or run or other time in the fresh air I 100% agree with that getting out in the fresh air moving your body 
that's a perfect, beautiful reset. And I think I think anyone can benefit from that. And lastly, Ann Bogle encourages us to just do it. What does that mean? I mean, we all know it's the Nike slogan, but what does it mean when it comes to overthinking? I like her story on page 89 when she's going to have company over for dinner and she had planned to make spaghetti squash tacos. <laughs> Don't even ask me how anyone would, what that even is, because I, I'm so confused. I like spaghetti, goes with squash, goes with tacos. I mean, does it taste like tacos? I don't know. Anyway, it says, my final meeting of the afternoon had run terribly long and it was past time to get dinner started. I prefer to roast the spaghetti squash for the tacos, but it was too hot to turn on the oven, so I turned to the microwave. As I prepped the squash for cooking, piercing it with a paring knife so the steam could vent while it cooked, I noticed how pretty it was, a pale yellow-green with gentle striping, much prettier than the plain yellow ones at the grocery store. Come to find out, she was not microwaving a squash, she was microwaving a melon. <laughs> Her conversation with her husband cracks me up because it's just something I would do. You make a mistake and you feel so stupid and then all of a sudden you're kind of frozen. You don't quite know how to move past this because you're just feeling really, really dumb and you have to fix it somehow, but you just, you're not sure where to start. This is classic overthinking because her husband kind of saved the day by saying, hey, well, you know, it's okay. We can just... Go get something else. Go get dinner another way. Go get another squash. It is fixable. Her husband, Will, says, getting cranky is just going to make you feel bad. You don't need to dwell on this. Oh, I'm kind of rolling my eyes because I'm pretty sure my husband has said that to me a few times. I'm sorry. I prefer to get cranky for a minute. <laughs> I'm, I prefer to feel bad for a minute. And maybe sometimes we do need to feel that way. But putting it in perspective helps. It's kind of a funny story. Yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing, but most things are totally fixable. And if you're like me, that's a hard thing to keep in the forefront of my mind, but I'd like to do it a little bit better. Something else this book made me think of is a famous Chinese proverb. It's a story about this father and his son. I don't want to mess up the pronunciation, but I believe it's the horse of wing and basically this man raises horses and he loses a horse and someone says oh I feel sorry for you and he says well maybe it's a good thing and then the lost horse returns and they get a new horse but someone else who congratulates him he says well well maybe that's a bad thing his son went out for a ride with the new horse and was thrown off the horse and broke his leg again someone else offered their condolences but Sai Wang simply says hmm, maybe it's a good thing for me one year later the army arrived to recruit all able-bodied men to fight in the war but because of his injury his son could not go off to war and was spared from certain death I find this proverb interesting because things can shift something may look bad at first but then it really can shift and turn into something good and I I do believe that God gives us the ability to redeem many terrible things. I've had my share of bad days that have turned into good days or bad moments that have turned into something beautiful, even something as simple as if I'm sad about something and my daughter sees me crying, she offers to come wipe my tears. She asks me if I'm sad. She offers me a hug. 
even if in that moment I am sad, the fact that my daughter is learning empathy and the beauty of helping each other through pain, I mean, how can I label that as a bad thing? I do see the value of embracing things for the way they are and doing my best to to take what I've been given and offer it to the Lord for his glory no matter what. So what do we do when our thoughts are stuck in a cycle and we don't know how to get free? Anne talks about a specific type of overthinking called rumination, which is the repetitive thinking. She says on page 98, when we ruminate, we can't shut off our brains. Our thoughts go round and round. We feel stuck like a hamster on a wheel. These negative thoughts and resultant emotions damage both our ability to think clearly and our general sense of well-being. She offers many suggestions um, to kind of disrupt rumination. But on page 101, she says something simple like, look for the good. She gives an example of John Gottman, who's a marriage counselor, researcher, and therapist, and how he says it's important that couples learn to notice and share on purpose the things they like and appreciate about each other and to do so in intentional and consistent ways. I like this especially for relationships because intentionality is helpful. If we can train ourselves to not only appreciate the positive but also to verbalize it, you're going to be more respectful and more kind to the other person than if you appreciate the good and just keep it in. Even if it's awkward for me to compliment my husband or to say, I really appreciate the way you blah, 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 because sometimes it does sound a little cheesy. It's still good for him to hear it. I would like to think that when we think about our relationships with the people that we love, we do want them to focus on the positive of our personality and our character. So if I go first, that's training myself to lift them up higher. One small example she has for this on page 102 is whenever someone runs a red light, (laughs) she always says out loud, maybe there's a woman in labor in the backseat. And her kids tease her about this, but she's like, I don't care. It, It tells me someone else might be in a hurry for a good reason, and it's really none of my business, and I wanna be a compassionate human. I like that. So we talked about three ways to stop overthinking. First, limit your options. Second, take a break. And third, just do it. One thing that I implemented after reading this book is the simple act of lighting candles. And offers a story about someone who lights a candle every morning after she finishes cleaning the kitchen. It's part of her routine. She loves the candles. It makes her really happy. It was helpful for this woman to get over the impulse to save these candles for special occasions when every day is a beautiful day and a beautiful chance to simply light a candle and enjoy the way it smells, the way it burns, the way it makes you feel. I'm not going to say that I light a candle every day, but I do light candles a lot more than I used to and I don't feel bad about it because I think it makes my home a better place to be in for me and for others. I'm going to end with this quote on page 196. She says, The world is big. We are small. The feeling that we can't make a difference can be paralyzing. There's so much to be done. How could what we do possibly matter? It's easy to feel hopeless and helpless, but we don't have to be responsible for complicated solutions. We can begin where we are. We can make a difference. We can be a force for good for our own sakes and for the world's. Something as small and big as overthinking can really make us feel paralyzed. Yeah, we are just one person, but we can make a difference. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Therapy. Today's book was Don't Overthink It by Ann Bogle. If you loved learning about Ann Bogle, I highly recommend her website, Modern Mrs. Darcy. Her podcast is fantastic, and on her website are dozens and dozens of book lists. So if you're getting ready to take a family vacation and you need audiobook recommendations, or you're like me and you're obsessed with memoirs, she has memoir book lists. She has tons and tons of fiction recommendations. I would say she's the best person on the planet to get fiction recommendations from. All right, see you next time on the Book Therapy Podcast. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you.